And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. The Mets are a juggernaut, and returning to the program for the first time in a, a month, I want to say, uh, and and back uh, where he should be co-hosting the show, although albeit uh, perhaps missing out on, on some things at the home, home front, an, a new parent, Mr. Tim Britton. Joined as always, you are by me. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, there was, I can't say that now, because there was, there was uh, no, I couldn't say that. There was no retrospective in my absence. I assume that you you all just decided that we, we could not go on and have... The show had to be named something else. This isn't like Saved by the Bell, where you know the, some some rando named Tori shows up for a month, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, Tori had her moments. Um, but Speaking of I things liked, you I, could watch on, uh, on our sponsor, Peacock. Yeah, um, I was I was more fan. I, I remember the the one like the summer in Hawaii season that they did, and like they added Stacy for that season, I believe. Oh yeah, Mal- uh, Malibu I, Sands. Right. Um, I was I was I preferred that era, but uh, congratulations. I, I may have watched an episode of Saved by the Bell on my phone while uh, my young son took a nap on me yesterday. So uh, yeah, we it's are. It's a thing. That... Can I give you? Have you gotten like a ton of unsolicited parenting advice already? Uh, bad parenting advice. So I'm I'm waiting for the good stuff. Okay, this is good advice. This is the only I don't because you're going to hear so many opinions and there are too many opinions. I would say, do not do not introduce your child to children's music before. Uh, never actually never introduce your child <laughs> to children's music. Someone will. When that person does, uh, push that person out of your life. You don't need that toxicity. Uh, and try to keep your kid off children's music for as long as possible because when it hits, it's going to hit so freaking hard and you're going to wind up spending your entire day listening to Wheels on the Bus on repeat and wishing wishing you could have just had these moments before the kid had opinions. Uh, I had not understood the level of... Uh ubiquity that like kids bop has until i started talking to my nieces who are a little older and it's just like every pop song is now done in a kids bop version that's way worse uh and i don't it's i don't understand why kids like why their stupid little ears can't just listen to the regular version (laughs) uh but you you you'll you'll be okay with this that uh at this point when when my son struggles to fall asleep and i hum to him uh i hum college football fight songs because that's what i know (laughs) and that's Uh that's a good one yeah yeah, um, that that works. Uh, I have I have one child who will sometimes ask Alexa to play Sly and the Family Stone, and another who like only wants to hear things sung by Elmo. Like that's it. <laughs> um, so so it's a it's the it's the extremes there. The Mets uh, are good. They're good. We 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 should talk about that. Um, as as excited as I am for you and your family, I uh, what's going on. Why do they not lose games? What did you miss? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was strange as as devotees of the. You podcast. should be asking me what you, you should be asking me what you missed. We didn't plan this out very well, but uh, hey, uh, how's it going? Yeah, as, as devotees of the podcast know, you know, when I have previously taken uh, breaks during the season, so that was you know twenty twenty to get married. Uh, you know, I I was driving from Queens to uh, to my brother's yard where we were getting married on a Thursday afternoon when Brody Van Wagenen had his hot mic incident. And then later that weekend, the Mets swept a doubleheader with a walk-off home run at Yankee Stadium. Steve Cohen said he was going to buy the team. Like I missed like five days and everything happened. And then last year, when we finally took our honeymoon, uh, that was when the thumbs down stuff happened. That was when Zach Scott was arrested for a DUI. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've always felt bad for Rustin Dodd, who's often my fill-in, who then gets thrown into the maelstrom of covering the Mets, like at the worst possible moment. This year, though, it seems, and you can correct me, I know some guys who are very good have landed on the injured list in the meantime, but it seems like the Mets just kind of continued uninterrupted for those uh, four to five weeks that I, I did not cover them. Uh, that like the they were doing a lot of things well when I stepped aside uh, and I came back and they were doing those same things well still I mean honestly even better like their their offense you could have suggested might be a little fluky the first couple weeks of the season because they were scoring a lot of runs without a lot of hard contact uh, certainly in the month of May there was a lot of hard contact especially the last couple of weeks for them offensively uh, to justify the runs they're scoring so you know it strikes me like I remember uh, in, I think it was 2000, 2015, uh, around this time of year, I wrote a story covering the Red Sox that they were done as a team. Like they were not going to be good that year. They were something like nine or 10 games under 500. Uh, and it was because you looked at every little component of the team was bad. It wasn't one thing that could be fixed. It was every single aspect of the team was bad. Uh, and I look at the Mets right now uh, and you think about why are they good? And it's every aspect of the team is pretty good. There's no huge weakness you can you can point to the bullpen being a little unsettled at this point uh but there's nothing that you say like well that you know if you get to october that's going to be your under that's that's going to be your undoing uh at this point they do everything well they do some things very well uh especially if they get their their top starting pitchers back uh and so i it is a strange position as a Mets fan and as a Mets reporter to be in to express this kind of optimism. Going back to Saved by the Bell, it's kind of like the I'm so excited, I'm so excited, I'm so scared because Mets fans are not used to this idea. That is a great callback and a great reference. Rustin did a great job. Rustin got had fairly smooth sailing. Uh, Andy McCullough joined the show the day after Max Scherzer got hurt. Um, and I would say that was that was sort of the one thing you missed that was a moment. And I think for a minute there, you know, when, when you started looking at the rotation, minus Scherzer, minus McGill, minus DeGrom, uh, even now, I mean, it, you know, they've got Trevor Williams and David Peterson doing good work, but you don't know how long that's going to that's going to last, how long that's going to hold up. And you, you fear what happens if one more guy goes down. Um, but I think they've played so well in Scherzer's absence. I want to I they're. I don't. I haven't. I. I would have to look it up. I think it was May nineteenth or something. But they. They've certainly been winning way more than losing, and and like it seems like they haven't been set back that badly by Scherzer's absence. In part because the offense has been so good, and and so it it remains convincing. Like I would say, like it feels like the what you've missed at at, at most is like the Scherzer injury, and then like the sample sizes sort of 
evening themselves out, right? Like you mentioned, the offense was sort of overperforming at the beginning. It felt like maybe like they were getting some some lucky runs. Now it doesn't feel like that at all. Now the offense just feels very good, uh, very deep, uh, like really good looking top to bottom. The starting pitching was was out of this world at the starting at the start of the season. We knew it wouldn't last. It hasn't. In this case, it's because you know Scherzer got got hurt and, and hasn't been pitching, uh, and and Bassett and, and Carrasco have come down to earth a little bit, but still they've been good enough. You know, good enough to keep winning games. The Braves haven't done anything. Phillies look terrible. Uh, Marlins don't look like they're about to distinguish themselves this year, and. Things feel good. It's a weird, you know, um, it's a weird, it's been a, it's been a, a weird, I think for, for both of us going through like various crazy personal changes, <laughs> um, the Mets are pretty consistent, you know, it's like, this is, there's no tumult in, in Mets world right now. And and now they're, they're two weeks deep into Scherzer's injury. It was a six to eight week timeline. So you're looking at, uh, maybe early July when when they get him back and they've certainly held it down in his absence and and sounds like DeGrom's doing okay sounds like McGill's on the way back and and now you know I used the word juggernaut before but like maybe this team can run away with it yeah I, I think we'll get a really good sense of that now moving forward with the way the schedule changes you know the the Mets they've gotten the Phillies at the right time of season they're, they're nine and three against Philadelphia uh, and they've <laughs> those games it's it's funny I was doing it uh, the, the math on on Sunday night and it switched a little because Philadelphia came back but the, there was a stretch where the Mets uh, had led for like 35 of 36 innings against the Phillies like they weren't even innings ending in ties uh, it's kind of it was kind of like the 15 NLCS for them um, and and now you get uh you know the, the two teams they played in the division are Philly and Washington. Philly's played poorly. Washington is terrible. Uh, we saw that on opening weekend, and nothing has changed our opinion of the Nationals since then. Uh, and now you get the Dodgers, who are the best team in baseball and have a run differential uh, that is uh, historically good. Every team that's had a run differential as good as the Dodgers at this point basically wins the pennant, and most of them win the World Series. Uh, so they've been really good, and they also have like room to get better if guys like Max Muncie and Cody Bellinger play better. Uh, then you've got the Padres, who have been, I think, the third best, the third or fourth best team in the National League, right, with with the Mets in Milwaukee there. Uh, and then you go to, to Anaheim, uh, who's played really well as well. Uh, that this is the toughest road trip of the season for the Mets, and they get it uh, at, at this point in the year. And then they come back home, and they, they've got some more good teams. I know they play a, a home and home with Houston uh, in the month of June. So June, which has traditionally been a difficult month for the Mets uh, over the last five six years, uh, looms as as probably their most difficult schedule wise uh, of the season. Uh, and so we get a better sense of, of juggernaut or good team. I think we, we know that the floor of this team uh, is, has kind of been established through the first two months. If they're a good team, uh, it would be uh, a big surprise at this point uh, if the Mets were not very much a part of the postseason picture uh, in the month of September, more so than last year. Uh, you know, the, the kind of collapse they went through in August and September of last year would be, uh, it was pretty surprising last year. It would be stunning, I think, this year given the way they've played to this point. Uh, so they've raised the floor of, of what they can be. I think you'll get a better sense of their ceiling uh, over the, the next couple of weeks because they'd be, they'll, you know, they're confronting that aspect of their schedule without Jacob DeGrom and without Max Scherzer. Uh, so how do they do uh, when you know, you're playing a four-game series at Dodger Stadium and, and Peterson and Williams are half of your starters? Uh, I, I, want, I feel like you're qualified to answer this. Uh, like, what kind of 2006 vibes are you getting from this team? Because I, I've, I've seen that in the comments uh, on stories and on Twitter. Uh, and I've actually had this conversation with uh, a, a 
friend of mine who's a Mets fan that it just kind of feels like the early part of the the 06 season when it's funny my recollection of that year is that the Mets division lead was 20 at the end of April uh, and they were unchallenged mm-hmm. the rest of the way <laughs> right. um, that yeah, is it not felt correct that way. Um, it was only like four at this time of the year uh, but it did seem like you know from very early in the season a team that had been pretty good the year before had taken the next step and uh, was was going to play as a front runner in the National League the entire year as they did uh, until uh, the NLCS. Um, so uh, yeah, are, no, that I think that's a great. I think that's a, I I hadn't thought about that as a comp. Like I I go back so far that I think like the 1988 Mets just because it's a team I so closely associate with heartbreak. Like even more so than 2006. Weirdly, um, I guess because I was a kid. Uh, but that was another team that that was kind of a, a juggernaut. Uh, but yeah, the 2006 team, like I remember something I remember about that team, and I want to say it was the summer of that year. There was a game they were down by a bunch, and they may have hit two grand slams in the game, or it, it might have just been a blowout win. I just remember being on the phone with my friend who's also a Mets fan and being like, "I think they're actually good." Like it's just it just at some point it became convincing, and that's the word I keep using in regards to this te- this year's team. It's just and in like with none of these guys does it feel like oh like okay you're I mean like. Nick Plummer, it's probably not going to have a, a 1,500 OPS all season, you know? But, like, with none of the regulars, do you feel like, oh, this guy's playing way above his head? Or, uh, you know, they're catching lightning in a bottle here with a with a couple hot months and, and these guys are going to fall back to earth? Like, there's just, there's so much depth. And they've played so, uh, it's not just that they play well, it's that it feels like they're in every single game, and even the games when they're down big early, for the most part, like, they, they chip away, like, it's, it's such a very, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much to believe any of these things, you know, like, if, like, oh, this, there's something about this team that doesn't give up, um, because I just think that, that probably that's a reflection of having good baseball players, because I don't think there's a baseball player in the world, even if he's down seven runs in the seventh inning, who's just walking up to an at-bat not trying, um, because you, you got money on the line, and you're, you're not going to tell in your batting average next year whether there was, you know, runners on base at that moment, but... Um, it does feel like, you know, maybe just because of the type of hitter they have, the guys who don't give away at bats, the guys who, um, are willing to, to slap a single and, and even, um, guys like Pete Alonso who hadn't been so contact prone in the past, but are now, you know, working on that and improving their, that part of their game this year. Uh, it feels like they've always got a chance when they're runners on base. It feels like they've always got a chance when they're down early and it feels like the, the bullpen. Yeah. Like there's some concerns there, but it feels like it's good enough to get the game to Diaz. And then Diaz is the rare Mets closer that right now I feel like I trust. Yeah. Like there hasn't been that, uh, like getaway day game where they come out flat and just kind of, you know, they won the, that felt like this game, right? It felt like today was going to be that day. You know, the, we're recording this Wednesday night, the Wednesday afternoon game. Like you've you've won the first five games of the homestand. You've won the first two. You're facing a spot starter. Like this is a game that <laughs> that's fans know well. Uh, Evan Lee throws six shutout innings. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Carrasco gives up three early runs, and you lose three to one uh, in two hours and twenty minutes. Um, that, that's a game, especially because Carrasco didn't have it. Like Carrasco didn't have it at all in this game. He walked five guys. It's not him at all. Like you could see. From the broadcast, he couldn't he couldn't really spot his his splitter. It looked like, and uh, with his with his dad in the audience, which was fun. He 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 was struggling a little bit, but he got through it. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to to shut out the Nationals back-to-back games with Williams and a, and a Carrasco who was not on, on top of his game. It's kind of the opposite of his last start when he got tagged for five runs when he really pitched much better. Uh, so, yeah, you, you've gotten the sense that um, it's, it's not just a team... Uh, that's playing well, but it's a team that expects to play well uh, at this stage. The, the, I'm going to throw out another comparison. Um, you know, the 2013 Red Sox were a team that I covered. Uh, it came off huge dysfunction in 2012 with Bobby Valentine uh, and, you know, made kind of similar-ish additions that the, the Mets did this past offseason of veterans who were, were going to fill specific roles. It was uh, Shane Victorino and David Ross and Johnny Gomes and, and guys who you weren't breaking the bank for. The Mets have clearly added Scherzer. That's the difference. Um, but those guys all came in and, and, you know, every free agent signing they made hit for them. Uh, and you know, they came out and they had, they had a good April, uh, and everyone in that clubhouse thought like, yeah, we're a good team. Like this is not an anomaly. And they just kept it going, went wire to wire and won the world series. Are the Mets going to do that? That's probably a bit too early to say. Uh, but there is that kind of vibe of a team that uh, does not think it's over its skis at this point in the season, even though they are what 35 and 17, they're playing at a, a better than 667 pace, uh, you know, they're, they're a team that uh, is kind of where they expect to be. Uh, and that's a really nice place to be when you're, when you're playing this well. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Something that there was some news that recently, I think since you've been back, and something that, that came up a few times while you were gone, uh, some some of the part-time players. Uh, Dom Smith has been optioned down to AAA. I think that was a surprise. It was certainly a surprise to me. It seemed like it was a surprise to a lot of people. It also felt like kind of the right move um, with, with Smith hitting so poorly and uh and you know limited defensively uh like you know if this guy's not going to get it straightened out at the major league level in part-time play like maybe it makes more sense to just let him go figure it out in triple a and try to bring him back when when he's got it right uh the other sort of personnel thing and it's been it's been more quiet but it was something there was a we got we got a, a sort of a listener campaign uh, that that had been bubbling up based on our, our feedback we were getting uh, is that Luis Guillorme has has earned and is now receiving more playing time leading the team in OPS, by the way. Yeah, like I did uh, my first or not, not my, my second story back was just kind of looking at what, not what what players are on pace to do. And so I'm just catching up kind of statistically with where everyone was at because, you know, I, I followed the team while I was not there. I, I didn't actually watch a ton, but I, I was following day to day kind of the, the classic box score follow. You got to avoid the screen time. Now you got to now you got to worry about screen time. I know. Yeah. <laughs> As if it's yeah, not a big a enough thing. problem in my own life. Uh, right. And 
uh, you know, I'm looking through, and, and like you said uh, earlier, there was no one that, I mean, there's guys having very nice years, obviously, in Alonzo and McNeil and, and Lindor certainly has turned it on the last several weeks. Uh, but you're looking at OPS plus and, and no one has like 180, you know, no one is really going, no one's having the Dom Smith 2020 as it were. Uh, and, uh, then it gets, I'm scrolling down the baseball reference page and then you get to Luis Guillorme and you're like, oh yeah. And he's got the best OPS plus on the team. Uh, and it's only gotten better since then, uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, you know, it's, you ride the hot hand when you have that. I mean, is going back to the 06 Mets like is this Jose Valentin just taking the, the second base job in the month of May and running with it uh you are made clearly a, a more uh prolific defensive player than Valentin was and a different offensive player but uh it really it helps them that they've got the versatility where it makes sense for them to continue playing him while he's hot like you can you know because it, it, this is where the DH helps you know JD Davis has not taking that job and run with it since Robinson Cano was released. Same with Smith. You know, you thought Davis and Smith would be the, the chief beneficiaries of that move. They haven't been. It's been Guillaume because you can play Guillaume at second. You can play uh, Jeff McNeil in the outfield. Uh, you can play an outfielder at DH. You can, you can mix and match that way with your lineup and keep the hotter bats in there uh, when they're performing this way. Uh, is Luis Guillaume going to be starting game one of the National League Division Series? Uh, should the Mets get there? Who knows? But uh, when a guy is is riding this kind of momentum positively offensively and and still provides premier defensive value the way he does, uh, you ride that out as long as you can. I mean, if you go back and look, it's still a fairly small sample. Now, if you go back over the last three seasons, it's over 300 plate appearances, and he's got a 406 on base percentage. Like that's that plays even if you have no power at all. That that you you play in the major leagues if you can do that. Yeah, I mean, he's always had that that kind of backup catcher. Uh, conundrum around him where like he he does well when he plays but you always think like well once you start playing him more regularly it's going to fall off you know we've seen that with Tomas Nito at times uh Ramon Ramon Castro was the guy uh a generation ago for the Mets uh where that always happened too uh but uh he he hasn't fallen off in fact he's picked it up since he's been in the lineup on a consistent basis and look the slump is going to come uh it's just a matter of uh you know he's not going to hit uh, 450 uh, forever. I liked Mike Puma tweeted the other day, like Guillaume's average is up to 366, but you you know you can't expect it to stay that stay that high for long. He's a 350 hitter at best. Um, you know we'll, we'll see what the slump is like for him. Whether it's you know coming fully crashing down where he has an 0 for 30, or if it's uh, just you know he goes back to being what he was previously, which is a guy who puts the ball in play, who draws some walks, and does not hit for much power uh, while playing good defense, which is a valuable player, but maybe not an everyday player for this team. But it's just it, you know same thing with Nick Plummer. Nick Plummer is not going to be in the lineup on a consistent basis once everyone is healthy again. Uh, but it's nice when those guys fill in, uh, and you you know you can fall back on them uh, if a guy needs a day. If you want to take an extra day with Jeff McNeil or Brandon Nimmo or any of these guys to keep them healthy over the course of 162. Yeah, I love uh, Guillaume has been a joy to watch play. I, Buck Showalter used the term. I think he said cre- he's such a creative defender, uh, and it's a good way of putting it. It's just he feels like you you look at him and you you don't see like the physical tools you would normally expect from like a good uh, major league baseball middle infielder. But he it feels like he gets to everything and he makes the plays and he and he and he knows the 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 rhythm of the infield so nicely that. Uh, he's he's really good and he's hit really well. And do you follow his dad on Twitter? 
<laughs> I have seen his dad on Twitter. Yes, he's a great, great Twitter follower. Not too much. He's just like he's a he's a big Mets fan. He's supporting his son. He's supporting other like he's a big baseball fan. Really good guy to and sort of exploring New York City a little bit too. Uh, really great, really great Twitter follow. A hearty recommendation for for Luis Guillorme Senior on Twitter. I think that I want. I hope that's his name. I think that's his name. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Um. Well. Good. Uh. We have a question from. Oh, I have a question for you because I I have it open. Uh, the Wikipedia page open on my desktop. Do you know the origin of the word juggernaut? Ooh. Um. No, I don't. It it sounds it sounds vaguely German. Yeah, like I would have I would have guessed like German or Norse, but no, it's uh it's from Sanskrit. It is a title. Uh, given to the the Hindu god Krishna, and what it was was that they had uh, at temples in in there were these like uh, big uh, like uh, shrines that were on wheels, um, and they were like I think the, the, there was like something sort of lost in translation with people who were seeing them um, because it was a shrine to just uh, the 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 sanskrit word that sounds like juggernaut which isn't it um but and and so they just sort of like the english version just became like huge wagon with a giant shrine on top and then that uh became like this thing that can crush people and and so it sort of evolved over time and uh mary shelley is one of the first known to have used it in a in a published novel uh language is incredible yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, I would have I thought that there would have been a like a much cooler. I would just assume there was some weapon that was named a juggernaut at some point, but no, that is not the case. It was not a weapon. Weapon. It was a uh, a religious object. Um, Adam Fine wants to know: Do you think that Pete Alonso will be the first Met with 500 home runs? It seems to me he's the type of player who can be consistent for a long time. Perhaps more importantly, Steve Cohen has the money to actually keep him in New York long term. Well, I mean, as Adam probably knows, the Mets have already had a player hit his 500th home run for them. That was the great Gary Sheffield. Uh, The first of his 10 home runs as a New York Met was his 500th uh, in the 2009 season. Uh, So they've already they've already crossed that bridge, you know. Um, Yeah, the the Mets. I I did the research a few years ago. Uh, I want to say that, you know, like Daryl Strawberry is their all time leader in home runs. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Padres uh, and the Rays and, and Rockies at this point. Um, are the only teams that have a home all-time home run leader with fewer home runs than Strawberry because he's at what like 250 or so 255 something like that um, so Alonzo uh, yeah he's... I mean I, I think you look Alonzo's just about halfway to being the, the Mets all-time home run leader at a as a 27 year old uh, you look at what he would need to do to hit 500 uh, you know that is averaging 35 home runs uh, for how many years does that Ted? 10, 15 years, basically, right? Yeah, um, it's a that's a it would be well. So he's got one twenty now, uh, one nineteen now. So any so over the next ten years, he would have to average like thirty eight home runs a year, right? Doable. I mean, it, it's interesting doable you know, because of the the shifts in the baseball uh, and because Alonzo only had sixty games uh, in in one of his first four seasons. Uh, it's hard to like extrapolate out mathematically how he's done so far. I mean, he's certainly, I think you can make a strong case that he is the best pure power hitter that the Mets have ever had. Uh, Dave Kingman is probably the other guy who comes to mind. I mean, Strawberry was a, a very good power hitter, but not like the pure power hitter uh, that, that Alonzo and Kingman ha- have been in their careers. Um, 
Well, and Kingman wasn't nearly as good a hitter. Right, yeah, and Alonzo was a, was a much better player than Dave Kingman all around. There's a reason uh, Kingman was traded like 15 times. Um, so I, I think he's got as good a chance as, as anyone in Mets history. Uh, it's really hard at any <laughs> at, for anyone to say, well, they're going to hit 500 home runs. Like I feel good about saying that about like Juan Soto, probably. Um, and uh, maybe Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, who are a little bit younger than Pete. Uh, and have more years to do it, uh, but you know. Uh, he's... But you know, you you juice the ball, and right if they rejuice the ball, he could start picking it picking it up quick. We'll see how that how the dust settles on that one, because if it goes back to the 2019 ball, you could see he could do it in four years. <laughs> right, just hit. right, like you know. Um, I, I'll say, like I think coming out of even like coming out of 2020. I was like, you know, like this it would be really cool if this guy was like a Paul Konerko, you know, just like a a pretty good first baseman for a long time. And Alonso has definitely reset my expectations since then because he's been so good. Like he uh I think he's a better hitter than he seemed even in his astonishing rookie year. Just because that that year like the the numbers across the board in in Major League Baseball were so crazy and because he did strike out so much, you kind of said like, okay, this is guy's like running into a bunch of balls he's a real he's a legit hitter he's a major leaguer obviously he won the rookie of the year but you know he's probably not going to be this good um uh, and now it's like oh yeah maybe he maybe that's right like maybe that that was about as good as as pete alonzo is and and he's just going to be one of the best power hitters in the game for a while and that's cool um it would be good if they i mean i guess it's not a, is it not extension talk time yet for pete alonzo it feels like it should be right well first of all uh Paul Konerko, one of Pete Alonso's favorite players of all time. Um, Is that right? Yeah, he, he loved... The, the first time I ever talked to Alonso, uh, he was in AA in, in Binghamton, or with Binghamton. I talked to him in, in a road game. Uh, and I happened to have a White Sox, you know, the little reporter's notebook. Like, some teams give you free ones. Uh, and we're journalists. We're not above taking a freebie that way. Uh, and mine had a white. It was from the, Chicago. The White Sox are like, oh, thank God you've come. Like here, here's, here's any, anything you want. Like you want a sweatshirt? You want a notebook? Yeah. And I, I close it at the end uh, of our of talking to, to Pete for about 20, 25 minutes. And he goes, White Sox, man. You, you grew up a White Sox fan? And I said, oh, no. Like I, I just got it for free. He goes, because I love the 2005 White Sox, which is a team that like it gets criminally overlooked and criminally underrated uh, a 100 win team that went 11 and 1 in the postseason uh, and he, he talked about how much he loved Paul Konerko. And so when the Mets went to the South Side in 2019, uh, I was able to talk to Konerko. Uh, you know, I remember that. I talked to Alonzo before the, the series about how he used to watch Paul Konerko hitting videos because that was the kind of hitter he wanted to be. Uh, and then I was able to get in touch with Konerko. And I wrote the story and kind of coolly after... Uh, they were, the, the teams were able to arrange like, a phone call between the two of them. So Alonzo was able to talk to Konerko, and I feel like I played a minor role in connecting Oh, him. you were like the matchmaker for, for Pete Alonzo and Paul Konerko. That's, that's not a minor role, it's a major role. <laughs> so that, it, was, it was very cute that that happened that way. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, and, you know, you look at, I think, Konerko 
Well, certainly during Alonzo's rookie season and, and into 2019, you looked at what Canerco did over the course of his career, which is just like be a 130 OPS plus guy, like year after year after year, uh, and, and say, if, if you could be that, that's <laughs> you sign up for that right now. Alonzo has been better than that uh, this season. He's kind of raising the bar of what he could be if he maintains this for the full season, um, you know, in terms of of his batting average being higher than it's been uh, earlier in his career, uh, coming through more with runners in scoring position, kind of having a better overall approach. We're seeing him pitch differently. Uh, we're seeing teams work around him a little bit more, uh, even with some the, the strength of the Mets lineup behind him. Uh, so uh, I'm interested in seeing how that evolves and how his approach adapts to that. Uh, but as you said, it is kind of getting into extension time. You know, this was, he got his, his first arbitration salary this year. Uh, that's kind of when you, you know, the, the bar for what he can make has now been set. Like he can, he's not going to take the, uh, you know, seven year, $35 million extension that some guys take he's before they get the to Albi, the Aussie yeah. obvious deals. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's going <laughs> to, he knows he's going to make but a fair still amount of money. You're still getting a discount if you do it now, right? Like, you know, if, if you're a few years away, you still buy out the rest of arbitration. You give them a few, you know, you have a few team option years, whatever you want to do. Like, it's time. I, I think I think the Mets have been a little too slow with a lot of this stuff, uh, certainly under the previous ownership. But uh, I would like to see Steve Cohen get a little more proactive with some of the extensions. Yeah, I mean, a little too slow is, is putting it kindly. Uh, that the, the, Basically, you know, you can, you can rattle off in the last decade. Uh, it's like John Neese, Juan Lagares, David Wright, uh, and Jacob deGrom are kind of the guys, right? Um, and uh, for every time a you know a Neese or a Lagares doesn't work out quite the way you want it to, uh, there's a deGrom that works out really well for you as a team. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you had looked at the Mets in 2015, if they had just aggressively extended their starting rotation uh, in deGrom, Wheeler, Matz, Harvey, Syndergaard... Uh, just, you know, they would have had some some rough stretches there. You would have lost Wheeler for for more than you expected. You would have uh, Harvey would have been a, a, a sunk cost for you, but you would have made, saved so much on on Dukram and Syndergaard and eventually Wheeler uh, that it would have been worth your while. Uh, I did actually write about uh, Alonzo as an extension candidate back in spring training, uh, and I think the the original Freddie Freeman contract with the Braves is one that makes sense. Kind of a you know eight years, 160 million kind of deal. Uh, like that's the kind of thing you can talk about uh, with him. Um, and that, you know, uh, it's, I don't think that'll happen over the course of this season, although the Mets are in a luxury tax situation where it finally does make sense for them to go after extensions, raise the price of uh, what the guy counts against your luxury tax this season uh, to save down the road. Uh, it's probably, it's too late to do that for this season, but, but uh, that's something they should look into uh, more aggressively for a lot of different reasons moving forward. Uh, that is a, a fascinating component too. I I hadn't really considered, but uh, now I will I will take some time to think about it uh, because that's a that's a good place to wrap up with a, a nice discussion of Pete Alonso. But Tim, again, uh, it's it's great to do this again. Thanks again to to Rustin Dodd and Annie McCullough. Of course, they both did great work filling in, but. Uh, it feels this feels more natural, you know, because I, I because I could I could throw like, oh, where's Pete Alonso going to land on the Mets all time home run leaderboard? And you don't have to look up the Mets all time home run. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've spent most of the last five weeks just, you know, freshening up on baseball reference and knowing uh, everything that could possibly be thrown at me in our first episode back. Uh, we I was recently challenged to name like the top 10 Mets home run hitters of all time, and I think I got eight of them. 
That's pretty good. That, you know, because they're not, uh, they're as difficult a team to do that for uh, mm-hmm. as anyone. Because So, like, Lucas Duda is in the top 10, right. which I you wouldn't know, have guessed. You know, I, I would imagine Michael Conforto's there. Um, I think Conforto, yeah, Conforto is one of the ones I got. Um, I, I want to remember the other one I missed. This is how we're, this is the 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 awesome way this show will end with, will be with me <laughs> clicking around at the Mets. Here we go. Top 10 career batting. Um, the, the two I missed were Lucas Duda and Kevin McReynolds, who was like my favorite player when I was a kid, I would but I didn't realize him, he, yeah. I did not realize he hit 122 home runs with the Mets. Yeah. So it's a, that, puts Alonzo's at what? 119. So he's, he's in that top 10 now. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, so Alonzo will knock Kevin McReynolds right out. Yeah. There we go. We All right, so now you. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. All right, so yeah, Pete Alonso right about to move in. That's, that's the exciting news uh, on which to end our show. Uh, can we talk later in the week? Yeah, let's do a live show later, right? Uh, that is the plan. I just We hadn't discussed it before, so I just decided to put you on the spot while we were recording. <laughs> Works for me. This is where we're just <laughs> we're ad-libbing now that I'm back. All right. Uh, peace out. See ya. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.